What the If is brought to you by listeners like you, thanks to our Patreon members, patreon.com slash whattheif. Go there now and find out how you can become a member and get all kinds of cool rewards. And thank you for supporting our mission for science education and science fun. Welcome to What the If... Subatomic Edition. That could go either way, I suppose. Subatomic, is that good? Is it bad? I don't know. Well, it's at least very small, so I guess that (laughs) would be a very short episode. Yes, yes, yes. Well, considering all the names I was called in school when I was growing up, then be very appropriate. I was called French Fry. Mm -hmm. You were short, too? Oh, I was extremely short. Oh. I didn't. I didn't get to my current average height until I was probably twenty-five or so. Wow! Um, so in high school, um, I looked like I was twelve years old, essentially, until I graduated. Oh. Yeah. And, and when did you start taking karate? Uh, when I was about twelve years old. Ah, <laughs> see, that's so. smart. It's <laughs> coincidence. You had a way to defend yourself. Yeah, I just um, took it. Yeah, it's and it's funny actually because because it took me so long to grow to my current height. Um, I still like my my body image is still very short, so I'll uh-huh. like bang my head on things and stuff. Oh, and that's interesting. Just, yeah. Wow. Very interesting. Um, so uh, speaking of short today, um, we uh, we have an ex- or, or small, even worse than yeah, just small um <laughs> subatomic um that wouldn't be a bad nickname i don't know maybe it could be a good name for a band yeah, maybe we'll we are see. subatomic yep. could be kind of cool um but that, that's just a tease of our our subject for today uh which we'll be getting to in a moment um but uh this uh lovely person you hear um who could kick your butt at any moment is professor matthew stanley of new york university historian of science and we've missed you because you've been you you and Gabby have been sort of tag teaming lately because there's been alternating mm-hmm. crises. Uh, when when there's a crisis in the history of science, you you have to go back in time to, yeah. to affect that. And when there's a crisis in uh, you know uh, virology, virology, yeah, okay. which there always is. These I know. I mean, what, what are the odds that viruses are going to cause problems? Though? Never, I mean, never. It's purely fiction, purely science fiction. Uh, but Gabby is off uh, battling that today. Um, so she's on assignment, as we say. Gabby's on assignment. Mm-hmm. Now you were on. How did your assignment go? I know you're not allowed to disclose too much about it. But. Um, my assignment is complete. Uh, <laughs> those those of you who live in either Los Angeles or Rochester, New York, will uh, be seeing the the impact of my missions <laughs> shortly. Whoa! <laughs> Interesting. I'm trying to think what could possibly connect Rochester and Los Angeles. Fascinating. Um, I don't know. Uh, an appreciation of photography, maybe. Ooh, this is a real. This is a real thing, right? This is like a deep. This trivia. is a real thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Wow. We should do so trivia contest. If you can guess <laughs> what Matt is talking about, I actually have no idea. Uh, you can win uh, our gratitude. So uh, write in. Um, if you're new to the show, uh, and if you're not, you can find out more about it at our website, whattheif.com. But um, suppose people are totally new to the show, Matt. What uh, what in the world have they stumbled upon? Uh, 
Uh, well, they have actually stumbled onto the edge of the world. Um, <laughs> that is, we uh, we go to the edges of reality and change it up. Um, so we give people webbed feet or we give dogs social media access. Um, <laughs> and then we run with the consequences of that. And hopefully we learn some science along the way. I love it. You know, every time you describe it, you, you describe it differently. And each time you do, there is a new if that we need to explore. What if, <laughs> what if dogs had social media? That's a fantastic idea. And by the way, we invite you listeners to um, send in your ideas. Go to whattheif.com and click on contact and send us your ideas. Uh, if we yep. run with your idea, you become a super ifer. And I also have to give a quick shout out, as I sort of mentioned there in the opening music, um, we, we are here due to the great support of our Patreon listeners, um, Patreon supporters, members of our Patreon community, patreon.com slash what the if. Um, as our members all know, they get special bonus content. They have an extended episode, behind the scenes, all kinds of things happen. Um, they get to wear things, they get to drink out of things, they get things they can stick on other things. It's incredible. Uh, so... Find out more at uh, patreon.com slash what the if. Today's story, today's if that we're going to uh, run, run away with uh, comes to us, uh, as it often does, uh, from the New York Times and the New York Times science section. A uh, fantastic group of people over there at the New York Times. And um, <clears throat> this, this comes to us today from uh, Katrina Miller, uh, a science reporter who it says uh, recently earned a PhD in particle physics from the yeah. University of Chicago. Oh, nice. So congratulations, Katrina Miller, on that. University of Chicago is where, right, the, uh, Fermi built the first nuclear reactor? Under... Uh, that's right. Yeah, that's a, a good place underneath the football stadium. Yeah. yeah, that is really wild. And you can see a little bit of that in the movie Oppenheimer. Very briefly, yeah. Quick. Which they, And it looks like they actually shot that scene on the football field, so that's pretty cool. Oh, wow. That's awesome. Um, so the headline from the New York Times and Katrina Miller's article, Physicists Move One Step Closer to a Theoretical Showdown. Uh, the subheading is uh, the device, uh, sorry, the deviance, <laughs> deviance <laughs> of a tiny particle called the muon might prove that one of the most well-tested theories in physics is incomplete. Uh, and then there's a picture can you describe the uh, the picture? Because we do audio only here. So, Matt, are you able to describe that? What, oh, what yeah. am I so looking the at? Picture, um, uh, what you're looking at is a particle physics laboratory, um, and specifically the uh, detector for one of these things. Um, so, if you just glance at the picture, it might look kind of like a Lego set. Um, uh, that is, there's a big blue ring. Um, and then a bunch of small boxy things inside of it. And it all looks pretty smallish, um, like something that could sit on your desk, until you see that uh, there are two people in the middle of the picture that are smaller than the boxy things in the middle. So what you, you realize what you're actually looking at is a building size scientific device. Um, it's one detector, one muon detector, as we'll be talking about. Um, that is about the size of eh, probably a four-story building or so. Mm. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. It's, I was going to say it looks like a blue donut. And, uh, um, same. I, yeah, I could same imagine a, a blue donut the size of a four-story. Particle physicists love toroids, which is mm. the, the shape of uh, a donut, technical name for the shape of a donut. Right. Um, so you can't swing your arms without hitting a donut shape 
at a particle physics laboratory. Oh, that, that explains why Homer Simpson, who works at a nuclear power plant, loves donuts. Too, mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Yes. Yeah. Um, here's uh, the article from Katrina Miller. On July 24th, a large team of researchers convened in Liverpool, that's surprising, uh, to unveil a single number related to the behavior of the muon, a subatomic particle that might open a portal to the new physics of our universe. All eyes were on a computer screen as someone typed in a secret code to release the results. The first number that popped out was met with exasperation, a lot of concerning gasps, oh my gods, and what did we do wrongs? (laughs) But after a final calculation, quote, there was a collective exhale across multiple continents, said Kevin Pitts, a physicist at Virginia Tech who was five hours away, attending the meeting virtually. The new measurement matched exactly what the physicists had computed two years prior, now with twice the precision. So comes the latest result from the Muon G2 collaboration, which runs an experiment at Fermi National Accelerator Laboratory, or Fermi Lab, in Batavia, Illinois, to study the deviant motion of the muon. The measurement announced to the public and submitted to the Journal of Physical Review Letters on Thursday morning brings physicists one step closer to figuring out if there are more types of matter and energy composing the universe than have been accounted for. Wow. My first question is Liverpool. I'm confused by Liverpool. She does not seem to mean Liverpool, England, if he's only five hours away. Um, let me see. Yeah, it could be Liverpool, England. Let me see. Um, usually they get to meet in more well, Maybe five hours away, she means time, like five time. It, it is five time zones. Five time zones, anyway, yeah. Yeah, that's right. yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not sure I'd have to look up yeah. why they're in Liverpool. Or maybe but, they're just Beatles fans. That's fine. I was going to say, there's a Beatles connection here. Um, and uh, it all comes, I'll just wrap up here, but it says, uh, quote, it all it really all comes down to that single number, said Hannah Binney, a physicist at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology's Lincoln Laboratory, who worked on the muon measurement as a graduate student. So Matt, before yeah. we run with what the if, in fact, we, I'm not even sure what our if is. What are we asking? I think, I think what we're, we're going to ask is, what if this is, re- what if there really is? Uh, this yeah, new- that's right. What if, what if this number did not match what it was supposed to? Um, and basically the... Uh, uh, that comes down to what if the muon was a little bit different than we expected? All right. Well, then I'm now going to start our uh, start the clock on our experiment. And uh, could you tell our listeners why we, we're gonna we have a theme song that we have to play, and everyone needs to prepare. So wh- wh- why? Do they uh, well, in this prepare? particular case, we're exposing you to lots of unusual radiation. Um, so we need the music to set up our safety protocols. Right. Um, so as the music plays, if everybody could get their tinfoil hats on um, <laughs> yeah. and climb inside your lead-lined fridge, uh, yeah. then we'll all be nice and safe as we change up reality. And always remember your pepper as we ask. That's right. <laughs> what the if? What was it? What if the muon? What if the muon was a little different? What if the little muon was a little different? Mm-hmm. Imagine the horror. Um, yeah, and in fact, if we're going to stick with our Simpsons um, reference here, so you're, you go to Dunkin' Donuts, 
and you ask for a, a chocolate donut with sprinkles. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're used to getting your sprinkles uh, on the donut in a very specific way. And each time you get the donut, um, you check the sprinkles over very closely to see if one of the sprinkles is in the wrong place. Um, and the you've been getting donuts from this shop for years and years. Mm-hmm. Um, and the sprinkles are always exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but this morning, you get your donut and it looks like one of the sprinkles might not be in the right place. Uh-oh. Um, so if you're a particle physicist, this is a good reason to flip over the table um, <laughs> and start screaming at people. Uh, so that's essentially where we're at. We're going to try to figure out why is that quite so upsetting right. or exciting as the point might be, right? Right. So, so first of all, the muon, uh, I think we're all familiar with atoms. We can at least have some image yeah. of an atom mm-hmm. uh, with the... The old-fashioned model of it is the uh, we see a bunch of little balls in the center, and an, and some other balls orbiting mm-hmm. around that. Um, yeah. Where's the muon in all that? Um, well, nowhere actually. Oh. Um, <laughs> so, uh, if you ask the the fifth grader um, what atoms are made of, they'll say protons and neutrons. Those are the big balls in the nucleus, mm-hmm. and then electrons, which are the small ones that zip around the outside. Um, and uh, none of those are muons, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, but those three are just the most common and easily detected forms of subatomic particles. There's actually vast numbers of different kinds. Um, We call it the subatomic zoo um, because it's so diverse and crazy. Um, And then we categorize them in different ways because people like to categorize things. And one of these categories is leptons. So these are, um, electrons are in in that category. So these are particles that... um, have mass and they have charge, but they're relatively small. So protons and neutrons are big, comparatively speaking. And then leptons are relatively small and they go, uh, they tend to go quite fast as well. Um, So uh, muons are also leptons. So electrons and muons are kind of cousins to each other. They share certain properties and behave in similar ways. most of the muons uh, you'll interact with in your daily life are actually cosmic rays. Um, mm. That is, they're shooting down from outer space and zipping through you uh, at high speed. Um, occasionally, one will bang into your strand of DNA and mutate it mm. um, and cause something interesting to happen, um, like have identical twins or something like that, just to pick something at random. Wow. Um, so that, muons that could, are that could do it. That could do it. Yeah. Wow. That's right. So muons shower down. If you had an old style TV, an old cathode ray tube, yeah. um, and uh, in the middle of the night when nothing was broadcasting and you tuned your TV to no station at all, you would see this kind of fuzz on the screen. Yeah. Um, a lot of that fuzz was actually muons, cosmic rays Whoa. shooting down from space and whacking into the, the back of your TV screen. Wow. Um, doesn't work with modern screens, so sorry about that. Right, right. Um, so uh, cosmic rays are still something of a puzzle. We don't entirely understand where they come from. Um, but that's why we've studied muons a lot, I guess, is because they, they're hurtled through us on a regular basis. Um, so they can be captured somehow? 
um, they can be captured, at least detected is probably the, the best way to uh-huh. think about it. They're, they're hard to hang on to because they're so small. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, they come in many different types and flavors um, uh, as well. Um, but we can just talk about muons generally for the day. So they're tiny little particles, um, smaller than an atom. Um, you're interacting with them even though you don't know it. Um, <laughs> Uh, so generally, they're an extremely esoteric part of what's called the standard model. Um, so particle physicists, uh, like the the writer at the time, so what was her name again? Oh, uh, I can't remember. Katrina Miller. Katrina Miller, like Dr. Miller. Yeah. Um, uh, feel like they have a pretty good sense of all of the subatomic particles that are out there and how they behave with each other. Um, So there's certain forces that interact among the particles. Um, The particles come and go in different kinds of reactions. So what a lot, what experimental particle physicists do is generally smash particles into other particles and make new particles um, and watch what happens. And then the theorists uh, try to understand those various particle interactions and also um, suggest that the experimentalists do particular kinds of collisions to generate new and interesting things. So um, we've been doing that kind of work for eh, 70 years or so, depending on how you want to count. Like Fermilab has been around since World War II and doing that kind of work. This is the kind of the work they do at CERN um, or the LHC, uh, basically smashing stuff into other stuff. And we've got a really good handle on these particles and how they interact with each other. And um, if, you, uh, if you go to a particle physics cocktail party and grab one of them and say, tell me everything you know about the universe, they will write down an equation. It takes a page or two to, to fill up. And that is essentially a list of all the major kinds of particles and how they interact with each other. And we call this the standard model, capital S, capital M, usually. Um, and it's sort of an encapsulation of knowledge of the subatomic world. Um, so if an uh, experimentalist wants to look for something new, um, they will look to a part of, the mo- of that equation and say, let's see if we can make this in the lab. Let's make this muon. And then a theorist will sit down with that part of the equation and calculate out what they expect the experimentalist to see. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're really good at this. So the, the, they will usually get a number. Um, and in this particular case, what they're doing is measuring one of the properties of the muon, and specifically um, its magnetic moment, if I remember right, or is it the dielectric moment? I have to double check. Um, uh, but basically, it's a, a measurement of, of how much the muon likes to spin when you put it in a magnetic field. Right. I think, I think it is magnetic. I'll look it up, but I, I think it's okay. magnetic. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, a number. And sometimes the numbers you get from these calculations are 1.679134 and going out to 20 decimal points. And sometimes it's an unsettlingly even number, like 2. Yeah. Um, so the, the magnetic moment on the muon is supposed to be 2. So the, the theoretical 
particle physicist says to the experimentalist, if you smash these different kind of particles into each other, some muons will come out. And when the muons go through your magnetic detector, you should get a number off of that. Mm -hmm. And that number should be two. And the experimentalist says, okay. And they go and they set up their experiment. Um, and experiments take years to run. Um, and they, uh, they might do the same iteration of the experiment billions of times, yeah. I think. And then they average all those out. Um, and uh, <laughs> generally speaking, whenever you test the standard model, you get the answer you are expecting. Okay. Mm -hmm. The theorist says, if we understand the subatomic world correctly, the number you should get is two. Yeah. And then they do the measurement and it's two. And in, in some sense, that's a great victory, right? You say, mm -hmm. yes, we understand this really well. Yeah. But the physicists actually get upset about this. Uh -huh. That is that like the first time you test it, you want it to be what you what you expected because that shows you understand it. Right. But that also shows that you already understand it. So <laughs> that's also kind of boring because you're like, right. you know, we became scientists so we could discover new things. Right. Um, and if our observations match our predictions exactly, then there's like nothing new there. So the article says um, to measure G2, which is what you were talking about, uh, researchers at Fermilab generated a beam of muons and steered it into a 50-foot diameter donut-shaped magnet, the inside brimming with virtual particles that were popping into reality. Whoa. As the mu muons raced around the ring, detectors along its edge recorded how fast they were wobbling. Using 40 billion muons, five times as much data as the researchers had in 2021, the team measured G2 to be 0 0.002331841110, a one-tenth of one percent deviation from two. <laughs> the result has a precision of 0.2 parts per million. That's like measuring the distance between New York City and Chicago with an uncertainty of only 10 inches, Dr. Pitts said. It's an amazing achievement, said Alex Keshavarzi, a physicist at the University of Manchester and a member of the Muon 2 collaboration. This is the world's most precise measurement ever made at a particle accelerator. That's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So you were saying this, this G2, it tells you, this G, what is G2? Oh, so this is a, the measure of the, the magnetic moment of the particle. Right. Um, so if you think of a regular magnet and you put it next to another magnet, it tends to flip over. Um, uh -huh. The magnetic moment is a measure of how strongly it tends to flip over. So uh, this is one of the properties of a subatomic particle predicted by the standard model to great precision. Mm -hmm. um, uh, as they say, this is the, these are fantastically precise predictions and measurements. Yeah. Um, and the hope is that um, they won't be quite right. Because if the measured um, property of the muon does not match the predicted property of the muon, then that means there's something else going on. There's a new force, there's a new kind of particle, and then physicists get to go look for that new thing and win Nobel Prizes. Uh -huh. Oh, I see. All right. Yeah. Um, 
but if so the the exciting thing about this measurement was that it looked like there was in fact a departure right there there was some gap between the observed property and the predicted property yeah. of the thing so then suddenly everybody can go start looking for that and there's a sense in which that's what people have been looking for for my entire lifetime, since the 70s, wow. particle physicists have been looking for a major departure from the standard model. And uh, generally, they have not found it. And the solution has usually been, well, let's, a big, let's build a bigger particle accelerator um, and get uh, more data of a new kind. And then that will probably show us our departure. Um, and that has not occurred. But That is, is we, we just keep finding what we're looking for is part of the reason they kept looking for a something wrong with the standard model is part of the reason for that because we don't we can't actually fully understand what's what we see well this is i don't know it's actually kind of a, a subtle philosophical question right huh. so if you feel like you have a good understanding of something um the way the sprinkles are arranged on your donut right. um are you satisfied with that? And do you say, okay, I understand donut sprinkles. Fine. I'm not going to worry about it anymore. I will just go forward with my life with full knowledge of donuts. Right. Or do you look at it and you say, you know, I'll bet there's something about donuts. I still don't know. Um, you can't, the, the choice between those two is not a, there's no equation that tells you what you should do about that, right? That, that's your perspective on the universe. So if your perspective on the universe is, I'm satisfied with what I've got and I'll be done, then you're done. Right. Um, but if your perspective is, I'm sure there's something else out there that we don't understand yet, yeah. then even if you, even if the understanding you have is very good, you keep looking for where it might fail because you want to know more. And the only way you're going to know more is if you figure out what's wrong about your current understanding. But Does that make sense? Well, first, it's like we, there are huge things we don't understand, right? Like we can't yeah. connect relativity and, and uh, quant <laughs> quantum mechanics. And this is quantum mechanics, right? That's right. This is quantum mechanics. Right. Um, so one of the ways to, uh, as you say, the great unsolved problem is linking general relativity and quantum mechanics. So um, the hope is that there will be something wrong with either quantum mechanics ah. or general relativity. Yeah. And then that gap will show us where we need to understand something better. Right. Um, and people are working on both ends, right? People keep testing general relativity to absurd levels of detail. Yeah. And it, too, keeps fulfilling all of its predictions, which yeah. is extremely irritating <laughs> yeah. because, because we're kind of digging the tunnel from both ends and we expect them to meet up and it's just not. So every, uh, every time people hear in the news, people hear, people are often hearing, those who follow science uh, news, that uh, another test was done and turns out once again, Einstein was right, mm -hmm. which sounds like a victory, but you're saying actually physicists or especially particle physicists go like, oh God. Yeah, Einstein. Jeez, Come again, on, Einstein. <laughs> <laughs> um, so everybody's hoping that um, there will be some evidence that our understanding is wrong, right. because then we will get hopefully a window into some deeper understanding of the world. Right. Um, so that's why this was exciting. Is it seemed like this was one of those moments. Um, uh, I should say it fell through. It looks like, in fact, the theoretical prediction was verified yet again. But because this is what the if, 
we can ah. we we can change that up. So our if is in fact the muon is different than we expected it to be. Right. Yeah. Then what? What is that? What is that? What is what do they say? What does that have to do with the price of milk? Or <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a long. I mean, it's a long way from muons to milk, but we can do it. Right. <laughs> um, so what this means is that our understanding of muons is slightly off in some way. And that means that our whole understanding of the standard model is off in some way. So one possibility there is that there's a new force of nature mm-hmm. that we're not aware of. And this is our first glimmering of it. Right. So um, then the hunt begins to find this new force of nature and to understand it and give a name to it and you know, sell T-shirts with it on it, right? right. That's well, that, I mean, that sounds like an there. astounding thing, actually. A new force of nature means that that is something mm-hmm. we could eventually tap into and this do something. Would, that, that would be the hope. Yeah. That's right. And, and as, as you suggested, the, the holy grail here is really something that will link general relativity and quantum mechanics. Uh-huh. Um, so if we find this new force, the hope is that that force then looks like gravity in some way, and we can actually start pulling things together. Um, So once you have the suggestion that there is something new, then you need to get more data about it. Um, And interestingly, one of the first things that people are going to do is then start hunting through uh, 70 years of accumulated data that's sitting on hard drives Ah. and magnetic tape and punch cards, looking for a hint of this missing force that maybe we had missed because we weren't looking for it. Yeah. Um, one of the weird things about particle physics is that um, you generate so much data that you actually can't look at it all. <laughs> and you filter the data to find what you're looking for um, because otherwise the, the information is so vast, right. no human being can, can comprehend it. Um, so you have to filter the data. So it might be that we're filtering out exactly the thing we're looking for yeah. because we didn't know we were looking for it. Is it so electricity? I'm just trying to think of an example where we did discover some new force of nature. Would electricity be one of those? Um, yeah, but a couple hundred years ago, right? I guess. But just to give people an example of like what would it mean if a new force? In other words, imagine mm-hmm. no one knew what electricity was. Well, then- so that's right. So actually, maybe the 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 good example here is um, we knew about electricity and we knew about magnetism, say uh-huh. the early 19th century, yeah. um, but we didn't know that they were connected. And then Michael Faraday is messing around in his lab in London and discovers that actually they are. And once you discover that um, those two apparently different things are linked, then you can use them to manipulate each other. So electric motors, for instance, only work because we can use electricity to make magnets move. Our entire modern world. Our entire modern world is based on one of these discoveries, that two things that look different are actually linked on some level. Right. So the the great hope here is that, um, but but we can only find that new link if there's something wrong with our current understanding, because our uh-huh. current understanding doesn't have that link. Right. So this is all about proving our ignorance in uh-huh. some deep way, yeah. Um, yeah. and that's a, that's a fascinating and weird way to look at the world mm-hmm. to kind of march around and say. I want to figure out how I'm wrong about this. Um, yeah. 
and this is this is actually goes back to the, this particular way of framing that that problem um, goes back to an Austrian uh, philosopher of science named Karl Popper, um, who worked in the middle of the 20th century, and um, and he, his his. His argument was based on something really profound, but also simple, um, which is that we tend to look for. <coughs> Sorry. Popper says we tend to look for ideas that support our current, or we tend to look for evidence that supports our current ideas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that this is a very natural human reaction, and we do it in science too. Um, psychologists call this confirmation bias, where you ignore the evidence against your idea and just look for the evidence that supports you. So Popper says um, the best solution to this is to never assume you're right about anything and instead look for the evidence that you are wrong. Oh yeah. Um, Yeah. And this is actually a helpful, I I should say it really doesn't actually explain how science works generally Mm -hmm. very often, but it's a really helpful filter for bullshit. Mm, um, mm. that is, so if you're talking to somebody and they have a crazy idea, instead of asking them, why do you think you're right? Yes. You ask them, how might you be wrong? Yes. That is what would convince you that your idea is wrong. That's right. And Popper's observation is that most people have no idea. UFO, that is, they, UFO people have no, <laughs> they won't exactly, answer that They've question. never <laughs> thought through them. Yeah. Um, and Popper says, that doesn't mean that person is wrong in that idea, yeah. but it does mean that you shouldn't take them very seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because they haven't rigorously thought about their ideas. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to, but to run, I wanna, since we're, as yeah. we run late on time, I'm, I want to know what happens. Yeah. In the if, if this new, like, is it another, another new force that came into the world, I'm guessing, was the nuclear force or one of, uh, yes, one of right. the nuclear the, forces? Both the weak and strong nuclear forces. Right. Clearly um, changed the world. That's right. So we would want to know more about this new force. Right. So now that we know what we're looking for, we can build labs specifically to look for that thing. Uh-huh. And then that's go- and then we're going to learn more about it. Right. So what we're going to have is a huge wave of new laboratory building of the sort we haven't seen since the 50s and the 60s. Wow. Um, because everybody will want to know about this um because the world can be (laughs) when these new forces are discovered they completely Mm -hmm. revolutionize our world yeah that's right so if you think about linking electricity and magnetism gives rise to electrical motors and all of electrical technology is based on that yeah and if we could find a link between electricity and gravity and we could Whoa. manipulate gravity with electrical forces Whoa. that would be pretty kick-ass right Whoa. <laughs> so that's a possibility too that it may not it may not be a new force but it may be a linkage between two forces that we do. that's right and that would that's really the the grand unified the electrogravitational goal. force whoa yep, that's right um because and motors, we're clearly yeah. we're clearly a long way from that right um even if the muon measurement is off but it's got to start with something like this wow and it's not always clear what the the outcome is going to be and there, there's an apocryphal story that faraday is in his laboratory studying electricity and magnetism and um a member of parliament comes to to look at it and um the <laughs> the politician says it's all very interesting but of what good is it and faraday says one day sir you will tax it um, <laughs> and the story is not true but oh. it's great right yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um yeah. it, it's often invoked as 
uh, how important it is to do fundamental research. Right. Because at the time Faraday was looking at this stuff, electricity was a totally obscure subject. It wasn't at all obvious what it was going to be good for. Yeah. And this would be where we're at now. That is, if you find an indication of a new force of nature, we don't know where it's going to, to go, right. but it'll take an enormous scientific, political, cultural investment into studying it um, to get somewhere with it. So here, here's a question that um, Avi Loeb mentions. Uh, by the way, Avi Loeb is on uh, your friend uh, Brian um, Keating's podcast, Into the Impossible. And mm-hmm. uh, Brian has a fantastic, right now, up, up is this uh, podcast episode where he, he's with Avi Loeb for a couple of hours. And to- Avi's talking about his new thing where he found these, uh, if he, he believes, he, well, he hopes he, he has found uh, evidence for... Um, Meteor, meteor fragments at the bottom of the ocean off the coast of Papua New Guinea that mm-hmm. were from uh, an Oumuamua-like object that was flying through the uh, solar system. Yeah, right? an interstellar object. Interstellar yeah. object, right. But anyway, but one thing he Avi often points out, and we've had Avi on the show, by the way, if you're interested, go back and we've had Avi Lobo mm-hmm. uh, what if. Um, he says, uh, he points to, for instance, like dark matter. And he says, uh, at what point do we stop spending He's not saying we should necessarily, but at what point yeah. do you stop spending money on something where you are just not finding it, no matter how many billions you've spent? Yep, and this is this is precisely the issue here, is people have been trying to find a hole in the standard model for an entire generation, maybe mm. two, mm. Um, and spent hundreds of billions of dollars on well, it. Well, first of all, in the building of the standard model, mm-hmm. there were constant holes, right, and gaps. Yes, that's right. So they yeah, were all right. filled. At what point did it suddenly become, <laughs> oh, in other words, when was the last, was the Higgs boson the last? Um, no, because the Higgs was a predicted part of the standard model, too. Oh, if you oh. wanted to point to that as like the last gap in the standard model, that would be fine with me. Right. Um, but the last time they found something unexpected in the standard model, I don't know, I was probably an infant, you know. Wow. <laughs> it was wow. a very long time ago. Elvis was king. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that's right. I like that. The Elvis particle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the muon has left the building. Yeah. Uh, so, so Avi's point, and he's not the only one who, who makes this point, right. is that our, in, our, our whole infrastructure of physics is built around this problem, finding a new hole in the standard model. Yeah. And we've been trying for decades, and we have found nothing. Mm. Um, and at one point, at some point, it seems like you should say, that's enough. Let's stop. And let's put all our money into different things. Right. right, right. Um, <coughs> um, but it's, you know, it always feels like the next discovery is right around the corner. And nobody wants to be the, the person who says, let's stop investigating a week before you find the great breakthrough. So you get this kind of intellectual momentum where people keep tackling the same kinds of problems right. because it's been productive in the past. Um, but where but where you call that is is a really unclear. But it's interesting because it strikes me that that it's not just mm-hmm. an intellectual there are intellectual riches to be gained by discovering something new, right? That's one yep. thing. But it strikes me that it also must be that there's ge- there's genuine untold riches to be found if you discover Something like if dark energy, if we can figure out what dark energy is, mm-hmm. and then we can harness it. I don't know what we would do with it, but <laughs> crazy things would happen, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, it would. Um, 
it's very hard to schedule for the unknown. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and when you go to um, Congress and say, please give us $50 billion yeah. to build this accelerator, um, you need to promise something kind of concrete. Yeah. Uh, and for a long time, um, physicists were able to, uh, the, sort of the deal they made with the United States government was, you give us money for our pure research and we'll build you your nuclear bombs. Uh, yeah. And that, <clears throat> that worked great yeah. until the end of the Cold War. Mm. And then... <clears throat> And then they go to Congress and say, we want to build a superconducting super collider. Please give us $10 billion. Yes. And Congress says, you know, we don't really need your nuclear bombs anymore. Yeah. So no. Yeah. Um, and then the physicists kind of stick their hands in their pockets. And they're like, oh, well, what do we do now? Yeah. Um, so there's still, there's still that same hope that we're going to find the gap in the standard model. Um, we just can't do it with giant super colliders anymore. Yeah. So my, my last question on this is, um, and I say like like all ifs I see. By the way, uh, we could continue this, which I would like to at some point. And we should go back at some point, and and, and I need to catalog all the ifs where we just barely got going. <laughs> you know, um, we just barely got off the ground. Um, but uh, the standard model is the most boring name imaginable. Seriously, right? And it yeah. strikes me that it perhaps it is be, it is that because they all hope to dis dispense with it. It's like, well, the in other words, it's almost like a derisive thing. Well, the standard model is this, but we don't want the standard model. We want the new... <laughs> the new and exciting one. Exciting that's right. But one. you need to have the standard against which to measure your new that's and right. exciting thing. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, it's funny. Particle physics is a very strange blend of unbelievably boring names, yeah. um, like the standard model, and really bizarre things like quarks, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And charm particles and things. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, a lot of the weird names go back to this one particular physicist named Murray Gelman, right. um, who came up with just really off the wall names for things. Um, uh, so yeah, it's a great battle between blandness and not. And I'm guessing the standard model it just is it some name that just sort of slowly evolved. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's uh, no, nobody. It didn't occur to, and as you say, it didn't occur to anybody that it would be a long-standing name. Yeah. It was yeah. just let's all gather. Let's gather together all of the ideas we've got so far, right? And then see what else we need to work on. Yeah. 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 And they're clearly not salespeople. You know, nor nor, nor should they have to be. But I'm just saying. You know. Yeah. I mean, some of them. Right. You've got to sell it to Congress. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you for this. Thank you for bringing muons to our attention. Uh, I think another even though you're surrounded by them at the moment, you're yeah. surrounded by them. They're flowing through you, and they may be creating twins inside you, <laughs> yes, <that's right. laughs> depending on your makeup. Um, but uh, uh, it also strikes me—I don't know why this seems this is one of these ideas is right in front of my face, but I never quite got. It's that I didn't realize. I just never occurred to me. Oh, there's all these particles that don't do anything. <laughs> they fly around. In other words, the one, oh. the ones that make up the atom, you know, are useful. <laughs> <laughs> everything is made of atoms, right? But then there's all this other stuff, like neutrinos, right? The muons and... I mean, that's right. They all interact with each other, and eventually the muons do turn into milk. Um, uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, but uh, it's a long road. It's a long road from the neutrino to everyday experience. Yeah, but they don't build anything. Like, they just fly around, and occasionally there are accidents, and they collide into things. Or yeah. we intentionally collide them into each other, which is... I guess that's fun. I could see that. Yeah, I could see the value fun. in that. Um, thank you. So, uh, uh, is there anything uh, you want to plug 
this week, either in the subatomic um, or my macro. classes start on Tuesday. So if you're no in way. my class, um, please show up. Wow, it's already that time again. Yeah, incredible, incredible. And what uh, what is the class? Um, I'm teaching my class Understanding the Universe, ah. which is the sort of history and philosophy of cosmology, um, and then a class on predicting the future. Whoa. So we'll see how those go. Those are, but boy, I tell you, if you come out of both of those classes successfully having learned those things, you are going to be very powerful. <laughs> um, I was trying to think, do I, I don't, I don't have anything to plug either other than, uh, I believe Gabby will be back. Gabby's new book is out. Uh, the link for okay. it is, uh, the, her story in the book, uh, Luminescent Machinations. I finally got it. Uh, I can pronounce <laughs> it. Um, is, uh, the link is there in your podcast description. Um, so thank you, uh, everyone, for listening. Uh, send us your ideas uh, for other shows at whattheif.com. Send us your um, comments, questions, anything like that. Artwork. Some of you are very talented and have mm, sent that's us. That's right. Yeah, that was great stuff. Send us artwork. So if you, there's something you envisioned today that came to mind, send it to us. A new force of nature. I wonder what that would look like. Um, send it in. And um, Matt, would you help us now understand how the uh, closing ceremonies uh, function? Well, this is where we grapple with the consequences of what we have wrought. Um, so I think in this case, we're, uh, uh, we're a congressional staffer sitting on our office, <laughs> minding our own business, when suddenly there's a smash on the front door, and there's a horde of particle physicists <laughs> with their sprinkled donuts screaming, yeah. the sprinkles are in the wrong place, give us $50 billion, <laughs> and you have no choice but to shout out, what the is? Thank you, taxpayers, one and all, and uh, good luck to our international uh, partners and competitors. May the best collider win, and we'll see you next week. <laughs>